And I want to finish chapter 1 tonight, and I pray that you're educated somewhat, edified, and blessed by the words of Paul to the church in Ephesus, or to the believers, saints, just like you and I. It's a beautiful passage once you understand it, so I hope everyone's ready to get into it. If you can remember the last time I taught, we covered a lot of different stuff, went through verses 15 through 18 of the first chapter. And so tonight I want to pick back up in verse 18 and go through verse 23. But before we do, I'd like to kind of review and discuss what we talked about last time. So let's do that, and then we'll read it and get into the, get into the, the latter text. I'm going to read verses 15 through 23 in the first chapter of Ephesians, and then we'll go from there and start to cover the verse. Verse 15, it says this. It says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Yeshua and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the Mighty One, or the God of our Lord, Yeshua the Christ, the Glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe? According to the working of his vast strength. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. If you recall, when we read these verses last time, we talked about this this being a prayer. It was a prayer of Paul's for the saints in Ephesus. He starts this prayer by saying, Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Yeshua, this is how I know that he's talking to saints. Saints are the ones that have the faith. And they also are the ones that have the gift of salvation. Remember in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when the gospel of your salvation was given to you, in him when you heard this, the gospel of your salvation, in him when you believed, when you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's what made you a saint. When you heard the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's the down payment of your salvation. He tells them in verse 15, he remembers them in, their prayer, in his prayers because of their faith and their love for one another. We talked about how their faith was made evident in their love for one another. I discussed that last time. Not the other way around. They didn't receive their faith because they had love for one another. They loved one another because of their faith, because of what they already were. That was a product of their regeneration, because they had faith. They believed they were sons of the Almighty, and therefore they can show forth their love to one another. There were no works involved that would grant them that faith, only grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Then Paul goes on in verse 17 to lay out who he's praying to, the glorious Father. As he tells the Ephesians that he prays to the glorious Father, he also includes what his prayers are for. He says he prays that the glorious Father, be it Yahweh, would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, Right? Now, last time I taught, I said that the revelation of the knowledge of him that was to be gained was the knowledge of Yeshua. And the reason I said that is because of the previous verses, verses 3 through 14, where Paul goes on and on and on about the person of Christ. 
He says in verse 7 that we have redemption in his blood. That's Yeshua's blood. In verse 9 he says that Yahweh had made known the mystery of his will to us that he planned in Yeshua. In verse 11 he says that in him, speaking of Yeshua, we were made his inheritance. And in verse 12 he says, We who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. And verse 13 once again says this, In him, Yeshua, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him, speaking of Yeshua, when you believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So on and on and on. Verses 3 through 14, the Father and the Son are spoken of, but it seems that the Messiah is the focal point for which Paul is speaking. He's the whole reason for his for the, it seems to me that the whole reason he's speaking is to tell you about Christ and what has been done through him. However, when you get to verse 17, he starts to pray to the Father, the glorious Father. And Paul says, Paul says that plainly. He's praying to the glorious Father. So in verses 3 through 14, he tells us about our election in Christ, our redemption in Christ, and our inheritance in Christ. We talked about that as we went through those 11 verses right there. But in verse 17, he starts a prayer to Yahweh, to the glorious Father, and he says, he prays for a revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, the reason I thought the hymn in verse 17 referred to Yeshua last time was because I took the context of the previous 11 verses and I carried them into the next three verses. Contextually, I thought it fit. Now, I would like to make the statement that I believe, number one, that I was possibly wrong. I believe that I was wrong. And I think that verse 17 could be and is more accurately speaking of Yahweh. In verse 17, Paul says, I pray that the Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what's in question here is who is the him? Is it the Father or is it the Son? Well, the only way to know this is to continue on through the rest of the letter or the rest of the chapter. That's the only way we're going to figure it out. But as we do this, keep, keep the pronouns in mind and who they are applied to in mind as well. I'm still not 100% sure on who the hymn in verse 17 is. However, I do know that we need a revelation of both, not just Yahweh, not just the Son, but both Yahweh and the Son, both of them are key components to our salvation. That's, that's, it's, a, it's a must. But in verse 18 through 19, and fo- verse 18 and 19 and following is where I run into a little bit of trouble if I believe that the Son is who is in view in verse 17. And I know this is textual a little bit right here, but if you can, if you can follow along and kind of keep up, I think, I think you'll understand when I get done. When Paul prays that we have a revelation in the knowledge of him, he's praying that we understand something about him, whether it be the Father or the Son. He says, hey, look, I pray that you have a knowledge of him. We need, we need understanding about this personage, no matter who it is. Paul wants us to gain some type of insight about him, whom he's speaking of. So in verse 18, he says, he prays our hearts are enlightened or our minds be open, however you want to perceive that. But that's what he means when he says he prays that our hearts be enlightened. He prays that our eyes, our eyes are open, our minds are open, so that we may know the hope of his calling. Again, who is the his here? The hope of whose calling? To answer the question, we'll have to keep going. If we can tell who the next few pronouns belong to, we can understand who the him is. Who calls us to do or to be something? Who calls us to do or to be something? Well, naturally, I would say Yahweh. I would say that was, that's Yahweh's job, especially in the sense of salvation. But I also believe that Yeshua can call us to do things. Okay, I believe that Yeshua can call people to do things. And, for example, I would give you Paul on the road to Damascus. I believe it was Yeshua that struck Paul down on the road to Damascus. 
called him to evangelize and become arguably the greatest evangelist that's ever walked the face of the earth. But from a salvation standpoint and a life directional view, I believe that it would be Yahweh that calls us. I believe that Yahweh calls us for salvation. For example, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says this, For by grace you're saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's a gift of Yahweh. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Never forget verse 10. For we are His creation, created in Christ, Yeshua, for good works, which Yahweh prepared ahead of time, so that we should walk in them. Those are the good works that we're called for. All right, now, who's calling... Whose calling are we following? Is that Yeshua's or Yahweh's? Well, that's Yahweh's, right? The verse says the verse says that it's a gift of Yahweh. So Yahweh created us. He gave us the gift of grace, and we are His creation in Christ for good works. That's our calling. <coughs> Excuse me. To be holy, to be blameless, to be set apart. And we're made this way only one way. We're made this way in Christ. We're made blameless. We're made holy. We're made set apart all by the grace of our Father, and He's made us this way in His Son. So we have a couple of ways to look at this. Is it possible that you, Yeshua calls us to do something? Well, absolutely. Such was the case in the example that I give of Paul. Is it possible also that Yahweh has a calling on our lives? Absolutely. Especially seeing that Yahweh is the one who draws a man unto salvation. John six forty four says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one. You can't come into the Son unless the Father draws you unto the Son. Two beings, one's pulling, one's catching, so to speak. And Yahweh gives us the gift of grace, and also Yahweh calls us to be a creation of holy, set-apart people in His Son. So both Yahweh and Yeshua can, can have a calling in our lives. So I'm not sure that we settled anything yet. We're still trying to figure out who the hymn is in verse 17. I'm not sure that we settled anything yet. Well, let's look at the next part of verse 18. Now Paul says, He prays that we may know what are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints. And once again, who does the pronoun his in this verse apply to? Could it be Yahweh, Yahweh's inheritance that he gives to the saints? Absolutely. Or could it be the inheritance that Yeshua received and share, shares with his co-heirs? We're co-heirs with the Son of Yahweh. We are joint heirs with him. He's the heir. He's the only begotten, the monogenes. He's the only son. But we are joint heirs with Christ. So it could, could it be that we are included in his inheritance. Both. So the pronoun his in this part of the verse belongs to both Yahweh and Yeshua as well. It could, it, could be, it could pertain to either one. Both of them carry the same attributes, at least in that part. But now let's look at verse 19. And it says this. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the works of his vast strength? All right. There are two his in this verse. We're talking about power here. And who does the power belong to? Well, I think, once again, it could belong to both. Both Yahweh and Yeshua have irrefutable power. This is, this is undoubtable, uh, undeniable, I mean. The Messiah gives us power. Philippians 4 and verse 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, of course, Yahweh gives us the power, power also. He has the power to give us new hearts, to cause us to walk in His ways, Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 27. And Peter says in 2 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, For his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We're talking about Yahweh right there. Does he give us power? Well, absolutely he gives us power. So both Yahweh and Yeshua fit the, book, the bill here. 
However, I believe verse 20 is about to clear all these things up. We just have to keep reading. You can't stop. You have to keep going. Let's read it. Verse 20 says this. It says, He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Who raised Yeshua from the dead? There's one answer. There's only one answer. Yahweh. There's only one answer that fits that, that question right there. Yahweh raised Yeshua from the dead. Who raised him from the dead? Yahweh did it. We know Yahweh raised Yeshua from the dead, and by doing so, he demonstrated this, this power that Paul's speaking of. So don't you think the power spoken of in verse 20 is the same power that's spoken of in verse 19? Sure it is. I'll explain in a second. But if we work backwards through the pronouns, now we will see who is in view here in verse 17. Yahweh demonstrated this power by raising Christ from the dead. The power Paul's referring to is spoken about in verse 19. He wants us to know the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance among the saints. And he wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Paul prays that our eyes would be open and our hearts would be enlightened on just how wonderful and majestic that Yahweh is. So when Paul prays in verse 17 that the glorious Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, he's praying that we would know Yahweh. That we would know Yahweh. That we would have a revelation in the knowledge of Yahweh. How immeasurably powerful he is. He's praying that we would know how wonderful he was to predestine us through his son in verse 4. How magnificent he was when he redeemed us through his son in verse 7. How gracious he was to give us an inheritance through his son in verse 11. And how powerful he was to seal us with the Holy Spirit as a down payment to our full inheritance in verse 14. That's what Yahweh did. Amen? That's great, huh? That's great. All that, all those steps, did all of it. He did it perfect. Paul prays, Father, these are saints. Give them a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of who you are, Yahweh. Open their eyes so their hearts so that they may know the hope of your calling. Yahweh, show them the glorious riches of your inheritance, what you have in store for them, Yahweh, and show them just how great your power is, Yahweh. Give all these saints that. Give them this understanding. Let them know. Help them to understand just how great you are. To those who believe in your sons, these are the saints. Show them who you are. Show them how great you are. That's Paul's prayer. That Yahweh reveal, would reveal his will for your life to you. So that you may understand just how great and exalted he is and how beautiful the power of his will is for those who are in Christ. So that you may see just how strategically planned and thought out your whole existence is, your whole existence as a human being, you're, when you come into this world, it's already, if you're, if you're a saint, if you're a saint, you were foreordained, pre-thought of, everything was worked out from the foundation of the world. Yahweh already figured it all out, man. That's our creator. That's my creator. He did all that stuff. He worked it all out. Paul wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of Yahweh's power according to the working of his vast strength. In other words, Paul prays that you that you understand just how mighty Yahweh is. And the way you'll know this is by the previous displays of power. The one that Paul uses for an example is the resurrection of our Lord. That's the that's the example that Paul draws out of the hat. He says, I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to give you an example of showing you just how great Yahweh is, and this is the one I'm going to give you. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't get any greater than the resurrection of Yeshua. There is, no, there is no greater miracle, no greater power ever shown on the face of the earth than raising the Son of Yahweh from the dead. That's the greatest one that ever, that, that's ever been done. 
verse 20 says this, He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. He, he, he grabbed Yeshua from the dead, takes him into heaven, and he sits him at his right hand. Right hand. This is a miracle. It's miraculous. That's greater than the parting of the Red Sea. That's greater than the plagues on Egypt. Yahweh broke the bonds of the grave. He loosed the chains of death. He wiped away every slate clean, and he removed his son from Sheol. He carried him into the heavens where he sits to this day at the right hand of the Father as a ruler far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age but also in the age to come. This is the Lord that we serve. This is where he sits at. This is the mighty one that raised him from the, from the grave. Yahweh, and he set him right here at his right hand. You sit here at my right hand. If I went over here and sat beside Elijah and I said, Elijah, sit at my right hand, where would you sit, Elijah? You sit right at my right hand, wouldn't you, buddy? <laughs> man, oh man. That's great to me. That's how great his power is. I get choked up thinking about it. I don't even, I, I'm contemplating this while I'm writing and I'm thinking, boy, it's, it's, it's just impressive to me. It's impressive to me. I don't know anybody that can raise anybody from the dead. I just, I don't get it. I think about when you when you die, you're dead, and I think, but that's powerful. You can pull him up out of the out of the grave. Jerry talks about power. I think that's powerful. And by the way, let me say this: Do you know how filthy Christ was with sin when he bore our shame on that tree? Do you know how filthy he was? I wanted to do this, and I didn't do it because I almost stained the carpet. But I wanted I wanted to bring a, a white cloth in here, garment, and I wanted to hang it up up here, and I wanted to pass out red cups everybody of juice and I want everybody to take their turn and come up here and pour your red cup on that cloth and stain that beautiful sun that he had that didn't have any sin I wanted everybody to get their turn at pouring that blood or pouring that old filthy stain on that perfect white linen that he's going to make as white as snow I wanted to do that just so everybody could see hey this is my sin that I put on him this is Elijah's sin that he put on him this is Maureen's sin that she put on him you know what I mean because we all we all contributed to the fact that he hung on that tree. We had a part in it. We had a part in it. From eternity past to the present day and in the future, all have sinned. Every one of us. Every single one of us. And all that sin is a stench in Yahweh's nostrils and it was placed on the back of our Lord and Savior. And it stained him to no end. But as filthy as Yeshua was with our sin, Yahweh raised him from the dead and he's now ruling his estate in the heavens. Saints, that's the power that was displayed in the resurrection of our Lord. That same power is the power by which you will be saved. That's the same power that will raise you from the dead. And Paul's just praying that we understand how great that power is. Do you understand? Do you understand how great it is? See, believers must understand their resources. And like I, resources, and like I said last time, a couple of times so far throughout the book of Ephesians, do you know who you are? Do you really know who you are? Do you know what your resources are in Christ? Do you have any idea what's happened for you? What you've got right there? Do you realize that you can go pray and prayers are answered? Do you realize when you need strength, you can have strength? Do you realize that when you need peace, you've got peace? You've got all that in our Lord. Compliments of the one who died for you. You've got every bit of it. If you're a true born-again saint, you should know who you are and you should know what your resources are. Yahweh's demonstrated His power by allowing your sin to be placed on the back of his perfect, unblemished lamb, and then allowing him to be tortured and killed for your sake. And he did all this so that he could raise his son and sit him at his right hand to rule 
and he did it to demonstrate his power for his glory according to his perfect plan and his will. Not Jerry's perfect plan, not Rocky's perfect plan, but Yahweh's perfect plan. He did it for that reason. But sometimes we can't just understand the plan. We're human. We're doubtful people, so we need re, you know, reassurance of the power that backs that plan. The proof's in the pudding, right? People from Missouri say, hey, show me. I'm from Missouri. Show me. I want to see the, I want to see the evidence. And according to our finite minds, that's the way we think. We don't, we don't put enough trust in Yahweh or enough faith in his word. And we, we, need, we need some proof. So Paul prays for us to understand, but he gives us, he gives us the reassurance we need. Now, you don't see this in the English, but in the Greek, Paul's trying to elaborate on just how much power Yahweh has. And he uses every word he can think of to explain it. There are actually four words used here for power in verse 19. The first word used for power is where it says this. It says, what is the measurable greatness of his power? That word power right there is the Greek word dunamis. That's where we get our English word dynamite from. It means inerrant power. So if we keep reading, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, that's dunamis, the inerrant power, to us who believe according to the working. The word working right here is the Greek word energia. It's where we get our English word energy from. And it means operative power. It's, a type of, it's, it's the way we operate. It's the way something moves or so, so forth. Then Paul says the working of his vast, and that word vast right there is the Greek word kratos, which means ultimate power. And then finally it says working of his vast strength. The word strength is from the Greek word ischkus, and it means endowed power. So if we're doubting Yahweh's plan and power, Paul clears it all up here. What Paul's saying is that he wants you to understand the greatness of Yahweh's power. It's so great, it's not measurable, it's inerrant, it's permanent. It's Yahweh's operative power, it's ultimate power, his endowed power. Paul explains that there is no greater power than this, and it belongs to all those who believe and put their faith in his only son. This is the power that Yahweh has. This is the power that he will raise your dead carcasses up out of the grave with. This is what he'll use it for. This is what he did with Yeshua. When you're laying in the grave asleep, Yahweh will raise you up with this mighty power that he has. Folks, you need to understand his will for your life. You need to understand what you've been called to do. You need to get a grip on what your inheritance among the saints is. And rest in knowing that Yahweh is all-powerful. He's endowed with all the power immeasurable, and he is able to accomplish all that he has promised for you, and he's able to help you perform everything he's expecting you to do. Paul gives us a beautiful picture of Yahweh's vast power and strength to fulfill his word. But if you can't comprehend the power of Yahweh or believe it by faith, just keep reading. Verse 20 says this. It says, He demonstrated this power in Yeshua by raising him from the dead. Look, folks, can you believe that Yahweh raised his his son from the dead? Can you believe that? If you can believe that, then you should believe that he can raise you from the dead. After all, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? We think about a lot of things, but if I asked you, would it bother you to wreck your car this afternoon? You'd say, man, it bothered me. I said, well, what about, would it bother you, to, if you if you died? Well, one would definitely weigh greater than the other one. Wait till you're facing death. And I, and I think that you would see just how great of a burden it would be if you thought you were going to die. That's the greatest thing that you could worry about is, is dying. And I know people may say, well, I'm not scared of death or, you know, make proud statements like that. Well, I'm not. I, I have pretty... I think I'm pretty solid in my faith, and I think I know where I'm going when I'm when I'm going to die. I think I think that Yahweh raised me from the dead. I believe that. I believe I'm a born again saint. I still don't want to die. 
You know what I mean? I'm still scared of dying. There's always room for doubt. I think John the Baptist had that same doubt to some degree. I, I believe he was scared of death. Well, I believe that's the reason Paul uses the resurrection for his example of Yahweh's power. Paul knew all the stories about Moses and Pharaoh. He knew about Jonah and the big fish. He knew about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. But those aren't the examples that Paul uses to demonstrate Yahweh's power. He chose the resurrection miracle. And I believe the reason that he chose the resurrection miracle is to explain just how mighty Yahweh is in the practice of giving those who believe eternal life, which is their inheritance. This is the key here. He's talking about the inheritance of the saints. What is our inheritance? I, I don't know what I'm going to inherit from Yahweh if I don't inherit eternal life. What else, what else do you get, you know? What could anyone give me greater than eternal life? My mom and dad might give me an inheritance when I get old. They may give me cars, houses, money, stocks, bonds, all sorts of material things. That's an inheritance, and, and I guess I'll be grateful for it. But they don't have the power to raise me from the grave. They can't do that for me. I want the inheritance of my heavenly Father. That's, what, that's, that's the inheritance that I'm after. I want that eternal inheritance that Yahweh has the power of producing. Only Yahweh has the endowed power to give me that. Folks, this is what we have in Yahweh. This is our gift. This is what we have. For those who believe, we will experience the measure of his great power. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. It says, Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, and neither has entered into the heart of man the things that Yahweh has prepared for those who love him. I believe that may be part of it. Eternal life. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. And Paul's praying that the eyes of your heart was would be enlightened to receive this insight. You know the phrase, got milk? You ever heard that? Got milk? Well, Paul's saying, got to understand him? You understand what's going on right here? You got to understand him? Hear the word of Yahweh right here and understand what the power of Yahweh does for you, you wicked sinner. Listen, 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 you wicked sinner. Understand who you are and what you've been given by the power of Yahweh and his perfect plan of salvation through the Son. Understand it. When you pray, what do you pray for? When you bow your head at night, some people say, well, I need to pray for, for mercy. Well, now you already have mercy. He's already given you mercy. Somebody says, well, I need to pray for grace. No, you don't need any grace. You, need to, you already have grace. If you're a saint, you've already, got, you've already been given grace. People say, well, I need to pray for peace. No, the Messiah said he sends a comforter. You've got peace. So what do you pray for? James says you pray for wisdom, right? And wisdom is the sense not to pray for things you already have. You know, that's what we pray for. This is what Paul says. Get understanding. Understanding. Yahweh, bless them with the knowledge. Bless them with an understanding to understand exactly who they are in your son. Bless them with an understanding to know who they are in you, Yahweh. Yahweh raised his son, and then he set him down at his right hand in the heavens. And the verse 21 says this. He says, Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is talking about worldly powers here. It's also talking about powers in the spiritual realm, supernatural realm, I think. The men in the world who hung him on a tree, they'll fall subject to Yeshua. I think most of them already have. I believe when, when I believe that on the day in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, I believe that that was some form of second coming of, of Yeshua, at least a form of wrath. Every devil in hell, they're going to fall subject to Yeshua. He rules all and has been given the keys to the kingdom that he's inherited. Verse 22 and verse 23 says this, He, Yahweh, put everything under his 
Yeshua's feet, and appointed him as a head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So Yahweh has appointed Yeshua as chief in charge. He's given him he's given the keys to the kingdom. He is in charge of this age and the one to come, all dominion, principalities, and rulers, and all this is by Yahweh's doings, by his vast power and his vast strength. It's almost as if Yahweh built a company for his son to inherit just on a much greater scale. It's like he created all the saints for his son. That's exactly what he did. He created all the saints so that his son would have an inheritance. That's that's Yeshua's inheritance. We are his inheritance, and in turn, he is our inheritance. Yahweh puts Yeshua's head over a whole church. That's us. You and I are the church. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. It says, Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and Yahweh is the head of Christ. So right next to Yahweh, Yeshua sits and reigns. What a beautiful picture. What a magnificent picture. And see, because he's the head of the church, Paul says that the church is his body. That's you and me. We're the body of Christ. When someone looks at you, they should see a saint. One broken, one contrite, nonetheless, but they should see a saint. When someone looks at, looks at you, they should say, Man, if I had to imagine the character of Christ, that's it right there. That's it. When I, when I, when I look at, if I, if I had to think about what Christ would look like or his actions or his character, that's him walking down the road right there. That's him walking through this door. That's him in my workplace. That's, that's him, my husband. That's her, my wife. When we look at, a, when we look at our, our mate, that's what we should see if they're Christians, if they're true born-again saints, or at least somebody who is striving towards that. Like I said, we'll all, we'll all fall and stumble. We all know that we'll fail miserably at that, obviously, but it's, it's, it's what we should strive for, at the least. The same way that Yeshua fulfilled the law completely, and therefore he could be called the word of Yahweh in the same way we should be called the sons of Yahweh. We should look just like him. We should look like Yeshua because we are the church that, is, that he is the head of, and we are the members that should walk and move the way that we're directed by his example. He is our Lord, and in him we are made perfect. Brothers and sisters, there is no other way. There is no other way. Let me com- comment on this right here. I understand works, okay? I understand works. And for the last probably three or four times that I've taught up here, I've taught grace, faith, grace, faith, grace, faith, because the book of Ephesians is teaching grace, faith, grace, faith, grace, faith. I'm not excluding works from a doctrine, okay? I understand works. I understand works as a product of regeneration, not not a product of justification. I may understand it different. From, from people in here, some people in here. But I, but I understand works. I'm not saying by any means that, that, a, that a good tree won't bear good fruit because it will. But, but that tree, that good tree only bears good fruit because it's been justified. That tree starts to grow, and it grows in sanctification. And sanctification is the, is the growth of a Christian as he goes through life. I can look back. I don't know how long I've been saved. I'd like to give you a date and a time where I wrote it down in my Bible and all that kind of stuff, but I just I really don't even know when I was saved. I just know that one day Yahweh started working on me, and it was over. It was over. I just kept on going and kept on going and kept on going, and he ain't stopped now, and I hope he don't stop. I hope he don't stop. And I hope in 10 years I'm a whole lot different than I am today, and I know that I'm 10 years, 10 years from where I was, or 10 years ago I was in a lot different place than I am today. 
You know, so I'm so I'm growing, and that's sanctification. That's what happens to a believer as they as they as they go through life. You study, you read, you learn, you grow. Yahweh molds and bends and shapes you, and after a while, you start to take on the form that looks like Christ. You're not going to do it the day that you're justified or regenerate. You're not going to start to look like Christ that day. It just does not work that way. I look at my children. One of my daughters told me the other day. She said, "Dad, I was saved, and it was a real thing this time." And I said, well, tell me about your experience. Because I don't want to beat her up about it. You know what I'm saying? And she's my daughter. I love her and I want her to be saved. But I don't, want to, I don't want to beat her up about it. I said, so tell me about your experience. So she goes on and she tells me, hey, we were singing songs and worship time's going on and all that kind of stuff. And I just, boy, emotions overran me and I just know it was real. And uh, so in my mind, you can imagine what I'm thinking and I won't, I won't go into that. But, but in my mind, I'm thinking... Jeez, man, what can I what can I say? How can I encourage this? But but at the same time, get the picture to it that this is this is not an emotional game. It's not it's not about emotions. It's not about emotions running wild. We're talking about something that's real. You know how do you, how do you get that through to a fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old daughter? So I told her. I said, you know what I think that is. I said I think that's Yahweh tugging at your heart, babe. And I said when he calls, you don't you don't you don't turn him away. I said, if he's drawing on you and pulling on you and you're feeling convicted about something, I said, you fall on your knees, cry out to him and beg him to save your soul. Beg him to save your soul. He's not going to say, hey, you're saved. You've got it. That's the end of it. He's not going to do that. It doesn't work that way. I don't know when I was saved. I don't know when I was saved. I know when I was saved. Ephesians says, when I believed. When I believed, I was saved. I was sealed. Now, belief for me may be different than belief from you, but it's but uh, it's not a, it's not just a confession, you know. It's not something like that. It's not come down to an altar, get on your knees, pray a prayer. That's not. I mean, that's the way it's taught today. That's not. That's not the case. So, so I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly the day that I was saved. What I do know is that at some point in life, Yahweh changed my life, and since then, He has continued me in sanctification, and I grow constantly. And today is different than yesterday. And tomorrow will be different than today. And as I grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, I produce works, works evident of a regenerate heart. And those works are not just, not just man, it's not wearing tassels. It's not just wearing a beard. I've got one. I wear the tassels. I don't eat pork. I do all those things. But that's, that's not regeneration, guys. That's not regeneration. Regeneration's right here. And he does that. You can't do it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's a gift of Yahweh. It's a gift of Yahweh. It's nothing that you can do. You don't pray that into existence. It doesn't happen. He gives you salvation, and from then on, you walk in a way. You walk in a way. One day, you're crawling. The next day, you're on your knees, and you're starting to get upright. And before you know what you're striving, and we miss it. We miss it. We think that um, that works of obedience, it, it becomes a, it becomes a a lifestyle to us, and we think, well, we've got it down, we've got it down, we're doing good, we're doing good. And we think, well, I'm doing all this. I'm working my way there. I'm striving real hard. I'm doing all that stuff, but you missed the whole boat. It didn't have anything to do with you. It had all to do with Him. See, when you think you're good enough to make it, then just throw Christ in the trash because you don't need Him anymore. Just check out on your own. Take out on your own and see how far you run. See how far you run, but I promise you're going to fall. And when you fall, you don't have, you, you're not going to pick yourself back up and present yourself before the Father. Matter of fact, you've already failed. Because you were dead in trespasses before Yahweh gave you new life. You were dead. 
Dead. Dead, rotten, decayed, dead. You weren't going to make it to the kingdom. But one day, Yahweh will give you a new heart. He'll give you a regenerate heart. And then you started to walk. So when you think you're good enough, throw your shoe in the trash and say, I got it. I got it. I'm on my way. I got it. I got it. When you fall, remember where you put it. Remember where you put it. It don't have anything, anything to do with you. If you do anything good, it's by His grace. Be thankful. Be thankful. Strive. Strive to be like Him. That's what I'm teaching tonight. Strive to be like Him. Walk in His ways. Keep the commandments. Be obedient. Just know, just know that that obedience don't warrant you salvation. And it never will. It won't give it to you. There's no other way. There's nothing else for you to do. No amounts of work. No good gestures. It's going to gain you access to the kingdom. It's only the gift of Yahweh by His grace. Through faith in His only begotten Son, perfect Son, that's how we have the chance. So Paul prays, as I hope you do, for yourself and others alike, that we have a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of Yahweh, that we understand the hope of His calling, that we understand our inheritance through His Son, and that we understand His immeasurable power to fulfill His will and His promises. Pray that. Pray that when you pray at night. Pray that when you pray in the morning. Yahweh, give me an understanding. Give me an understanding to know, to know what I'm doing here. Why you called me? Why did you give me new life? Yahweh, if you saved me, you saved me for a reason. What is the reason that you saved me for? I can give you a start. He saved you to set you apart. He set you apart so that you would be some sort of usefulness to Him. He set you apart. He gives you a new heart. Walk in the ways of His Son. He was an encouragement to everybody. Yeshua healed the blind. He raised the dead. You know, he did all these things. So walk like he did. Walk like he did. Mind your tongue. Love your neighbor. You know, keep the commandments. Be an encouragement to somebody else. And when somebody looks at you, they ought to look at you and say, whoa, that man's different. That man's different. Not, not because he wants to be different. That man's different because there's something inside of him that's making him different. We see somebody acting crazy outside on the road today or out, out in the world. We say, man, that sucker's got a demon. He's crazy. We can spot them real quick. But what makes you different? When somebody looks at you, what makes you different? When somebody, when somebody sees you, Alan, do they say, now that's a man of Yahweh? Or do they say, well, he's just a common man. He looks like me, dresses like me, talks like me, acts like me. Or are you different? Or are you really different? When they look at you, do they say, whoa, that's somebody different right there. He lives for Yahweh. So I leave you with this. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You are the body that represents our head. You are the body that represents our head. You may be the little toe, but you're part of the body. And our head is Christ. Do you know who you are? And if you do, then act like it. Act like it. Number one, but also praise Yahweh for the understanding that He's given you, that you know who you are. Yahweh, Father, we thank you. Thank you for the understanding that we do have, Father, and we pray that you'd give, an understand, give us an understanding greater than the one we do have. Father, I just pray that you would uh, give us wisdom and uh, help us to understand who you are in our life, who, who Yeshua is in our life. And Father, beat it into our brain that we are nothing without you. Father, cause us to be humble. Cause us to, to fall subject before you. Father, and then cleanse us with the blood of your own Son. Let us know how wretched we are so that we don't puff ourselves up with pride thinking that we can do something to please you. Father, as the song says, what sacrifice should I bring? There's none. There's none any good. 
Father, we love you so much. Father, I pray that you keep us safe as we go home today. Father, be with all those that were uh, in the prayer request list. And Father, I just um, we just lift you up today. We glorify you for how magnificent you are, how powerful you are, how wonderful you are. Father, we just lift you up today. Praise be to your holy name. Thank you, Father. We love you. Amen.